you know, for all the talk about the transition to renewable energy, the transition to electric vehicles, uh, obviously batteries are going to play a massive part in that. And that has a lot of other implications. I'm not convinced that we as the public know enough about it at this point. We've heard the rhetoric. I'm not sure if we've heard the facts. That's why I'm so pleased to have with me the CEO of Nano One. Now, Nano One has been involved with, you know, the uh, technology. It's a leading platform for global production of what I think is referred to as a new generation of battery materials. They're completely integrated into that. Boy, exciting what they're doing. They've got a lot of new partners involved. I saw the latest or one of the recent announcements of Rio Tinto, the world's, you know, we're talking about the top mining companies in the world. So I'm very pleased, as I say, to get Dan Blondell on with me. Dan, appreciate you taking the time. I bet you're a busy guy. Yeah, well, it's been a it's been a really um, uh, busy year and and a busy couple of years, Michael, since we've last spoke. So it's a it's a pleasure to be on here, and and uh, I, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it as I always do. It seems to me that I mean, no matter well, like going forward here, we're going to do the renewable revolution, the transition there. We're going to do the electric vehicle transition. And so I want to talk about some of the challenges that we go forward with. I mean, uh, for example, one of the things I've been saying on Money Talks for ages is. Hey, that's all good, but tell me where you're going to get the raw materials for it. Whether uh, different raw materials, obviously, if we're talking just batteries or we're talking just wind turbines, etc. But it still is a broad kind of thing that we're going to need a heck of a lot of resources. And I just want to get your take where we're at with that. Well, you're, you're bang on. I mean, the, the, the resources we need, um, uh, whether that's lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt, iron, aluminum, um, uh, zirconium, niobium, these are all components that play are, are, are key components in a, in the cathode material. So let's say they go into a, a battery or, or graphite, uh, which goes onto the anode, uh, which is the other electrode in the battery. We will need uh, we will need millions, tens of millions of tons of these materials to uh, to drive the whole sort of EV industry and. Uh, and in doing so, um, that's all got to get, uh, that's got to get mined, refined, processed, purified, um, all of that before you assemble, like the, so say the lithium and the nickel and the cobalt into a cathode material and, uh, look, the mining, the, the mines and the resources are where they are in, in the, in the world. Uh, we rely right now quite heavily on materials out of, uh, out of China and, uh, South America, uh, some out of Australia, some out of, um, Africa and Canada, uh, but we're sitting on, I think, on a, on a really kind of, uh, let's call it a generational opportunity here in Canada in particular. We're, we're rich in a lot of these resources. They're not necessarily exploited. They're not necessarily ready to go, but we're sitting on um, some really golden opportunities here, I think, um, not, only to, not only to extract the materials here, but to process them directly into cathode materials and into batteries without shipping them outside of the country. So to create a midstream, it's not just about mining, it's not just about the refining, but to create the whole value chain here in Canada. So, uh, and to give that a, to give that some context, um, uh, you know, we, we, in Canada, we're, we, we, we all know this as Canadians, we cut down trees and ship them out only to buy them back as furniture. We, uh, we ship out bitumen, we ship out raw materials, we ship out brain power. Um, and, and all of that, uh, you know, leads to a, a strong resource economy, but it really kind of uh, avoids what happens in the midstream. So, so what I see here is a really strong opportunity to, uh, to build out that midstream and, and, and tackle it. But it's, it's not to say it's, it's, it's a very large task uh, that we have to, uh, to permit these mines, to 
permit the refining and all the chemical plants that, that are needed to uh, to come into play. But um, uh, that opportunity lies before us, and and we're starting to see the Canadian government and the U.S. government sort of finally coming into play and 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 pushing on this to make it happen. Well, one of the things that jumps out at me when you say that is the timeline. Uh, for example, I mean, to me, if they they, they have timelines for when we're going to c- convert to uh, EVs, for example, California, was that 2030 or 35? Great Britain doing the same thing. And I'm going, well, do you have any idea how long it takes to get a copper mine up and running? Uh, what about your regulatory process? I mean, this is what concern, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, believe me, Dan, but I'm just saying as someone sitting here, I go, well, man, you better stay looking at that uh, regulatory environment because you're preventing a lot of stuff from happening. And then, of course, you've got also huge, it was nothing to do with government, but they have huge opposition. As soon as, you know, I'm looking at lithium and, you know, the business you're in with batteries. My gosh, I mean, how many different lawsuits by environmental groups have been filed to stop lithium mining in the United States? And it seems that we're working at cross purposes. And that just leads me to think the timelines are really unrealistic. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That the, the, the timelines are are very ambitious, and the and and they are uh, you know at odds or at in contrast with our ability to to build mines, um, you know, permit them, um, uh, and and put them into place. We don't want to loosen the regulatory requirements to build mines. We want to actually tighten them. We want to be we need to be more um, uh, competitive against China from an environmental point of view. Uh, we need to be um, we need to be more socially responsible about how we put these things in place. But we also need to be able to do it faster. We need to find ways to to regulate these fasters. And 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 I, and I do hear those those discussions are happening with governments. I don't think they've quite figured out how to deal with it. But it, they recognize that if we want to go fast and meet these incredible, you know, 2030, 2035, 2040 um, deadlines to get rid of internal combustion engines, we're going to have to find ways to permit these things. And with the with the deglobalization that's happening around the world, whether that be the you know the all of the energy related stuff that's related to Ukraine and Russia, or really the the um, the, the the rather um, aggressive stance against uh, against China's um, sort of battery uh, supremacy. If we're going to do it, we have to figure out a way to do it responsibly and 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 carefully. And but it's, there's an opportunity here to to get it done right. Are we going to hit those deadlines? Uh, look, they're ambitious, big, hairy, audacious goals, and, uh, and, and in some ways, you have to set those to get the whole kind of world kind of moving in the right direction. Will we hit them? Um, probably, probably not. Um, but I do think that they're that it's necessary to set these audacious goals in order to get the whole thing in motion. Uh, maybe they'll need to be reset in five years um, to be something more realistic. Um, but it, it, uh, but I, I agree with you. Certainly, there's a there's a tremendous challenge here um, to to go that kind of that fast and be able to mobilize these mines that you know many of them don't even exist today. Well, I, th- I think what's interesting, it's misunderstood that there's one thing about the degree of mining we need, but then you have to refine the materials. And when I start looking at what's going on in that direction, I mean, China's the dominant power, but really by far, it's it's a huge factor. I mean, you look at rare earths and what China's doing over 80% of the refining, you know, the processing of them. Uh, lithium's above 50% for sure. Cobalt's above 50%, uh, let alone the fact that, you know, the majority of cobalt is being taken out of the... Democratic Republic of the Congo with child labor. I mean, I, I'm just alluding to it's complicated. And then you have to overlay provincial and federal. So somebody federally can really have uh, this a bee in their bonnet and going to go and bumps into a, 
a provincial problem. I mean, yeah, I guess my yeah, challenge is layer onto that nimbyism, right? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, you don't, you, they don't have that problem in China. We, you know, we may very well want these material. We may very well want electric vehicles and batteries in our cars and our phones, but no one wants the mine in their backyard. And that is, uh, that's a problem the West has to face somehow. It, uh, these are, these are large problems for sure. Well, one of the things that you're doing at Nano One is, for example, I know that you have, uh, you know, they announced, uh, with Rio Tinto, you know, monster mining company, a strategic partnership. It seems to me that the private side, Dan, is maybe equally concerned, more concerned, but they're actually doing something about it, like moving forward, you know, General Motors. I mean, what what car company isn't going electric, if you know what I mean, which I just find interesting that uh, the private's really pushed and you guys have been right there with them. Yeah, look, look the, the big large autocos are all still trying to figure it out as well. So they're uh, they uh, you know they like the big governments are, are looking at these massive uh, supply chain challenges and trying to figure out how they fit into it. They're, they're having to start invest up into the supply chain. We just saw an announcement yesterday: GM investing in a uh, in a. Um, uh, Australian mining company uh, to get access to sort of nickel and and uh, and copper. Uh, that's unheard of in the in the last fifty years in the in the automotive industry. So these are these are all big changes in terms of where they're going, uh, and, and how how the supply chain will get developed. It won't develop on its own. It's going to develop with the really the biggest cash cows in the world trying to drive the change, and that would be the big automotive companies, ultimately governments to support this. The what we're doing. What we're doing at Nano One, actually, this is a really interesting thing. This is how how we become um, we've become very much a, a an example for the Canadian government um, because of our strategy. Our strategy, for instance, with Rio Tinto, is to work with them directly on their uh, on their lithium and their iron assets. We can use iron powder that is being refined today in Canada in the largest the iron powder facility. And we're working with them to develop those iron powders, for instance, to use directly in our cathode materials. So we don't, we don't need to invest in a refinery. We don't need to invest in a mine uh, in order to get those materials into a battery today. And, and that's kind of one of the strategies we've taken. We've said, well, how do we use existing um, supply chains rather than create new refineries uh, or, or create new capital risk um, in building new refineries and, and rather go directly from nickel metal powder or iron metal powder or, or manganese metal powder to go directly into cathode materials to make it easy, make the transition easier to these, uh, to these new supply chains. And that's become, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of a lone voice in the wilderness right now. Everyone else is just trying to copy the way it's done in China. And that comes with a whole bunch of environmental problems. It comes with a bunch of investment problems. It comes with a bunch of supply chain risks. And we believe that there are there's cleaner, shorter, less complex, and and less environmentally uh, uh, challenging ways to do this. And but it's still going to require a tremendous amount of investment. Ultimately, it'll still require mining, and uh, and that's going to have to happen locally if we want to make if we want security of supply if we want to compete effectively against uh, against sort of the collapsing collapsing geopolitical system that's out there right now. What, what's so interesting though is it sort of answers part of my question about where's the future. And so you guys are working on the future, as you say. You want a battery that doesn't require brand new supply chains, doesn't require necessarily relying on China. So that's one part of the future. Uh, just uh, again, just picking your brain, but 
where else is the the goal? I mean, for example, are, is one of the goals to try and double the range of a battery or lighten it by half, you know, that kind of thing? Right. So in, in, certainly in our case, um, our case is really about, look, we, we're, we're building a, a process technology or processes to combine lithium, nickel, manganese, and cobalt into, a, into an active uh, cathode or, or an active battery material. So you have to combine those in order to make it store energy. And, and in doing so, we're trying to drive just, we're trying to drive down complexity, cost, and environmental footprint in the supply chain. Uh, it's kind of as simple as that. The, 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 the materials that we make eventually get assembled into battery cells and then into larger battery packs, which have many cells in them. And, and the trends we're seeing in the industry right now are uh, the, the lightning or, the, or to create more energy-dense batteries. They're, it's all happening at the pack level. So this is the big, big battery that goes between the wheels of your car. It might have hundreds or thousands of battery cells in it. And how do you how do they lighten that up, um, uh, improve the structural integrity of it by making it lighter and making the batteries kind of closer and more densely packed? And that we've seen some tremendous trends. A large, large, of them, a large amount of these are coming out of China. Uh, that's where we're seeing these ideas uh, initiate. But we're starting to see it uh, propagate into some of the North American automotive thinking as well. How do you make that battery between the wheels? How do you pack more cells between the wheels um, uh, without increasing the weight? And that's really the uh, that's really critical to driving better range and and improving the the sustainability ultimately of that battery system because then the you know the materials are are driving less uh, extraneous weight around um, they're just uh, they're just providing the energy to drive themselves around. Yeah, I would think that would be a huge development, but all of what you're saying would be huge and it's. Uh, heartening to hear that's the direction things are going. Uh, I guess I come back to the timeline for this reason. Yeah. Uh, there are some people who've promoted that we will absolutely not need fossil fuels. Uh, I don't see how that happens in the kind of time frame they're talking about. We're talking electric vehicles. I, I'm talking broader about renewable energy and the need for fossil fuels to actually manufacture uh, the solar panels or the do the mining involved in all of this or do the wind uh, wind turbines, you know, the aluminum it's needed. It's going to need fossil fuels. And that's why I'm, I'm concerned about a realistic timeline for all of this, that it's got to be uh, one over overlapping sort of uh, plan that's practical that will get it done uh, as opposed to talking about it. And that's why as I say, it's fascinating to hear what you're saying and where they're going with it. But uh, let me come fi finally back to the timeline. I mean, uh, you guys are working presently on some of these uh, challenges and, and solutions. You're working with companies on it. But again, what's, a, what's realistic? If we were going to advise the government, what's realistic here? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack there in, 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 yeah, in, in, in that. But I, I, there's... um. You know, for, first on the on the uh, you know, basically on on carbon and fuels, we're going to need them um, for the the foreseeable future. I mean, the, the reality is that's where the energy density is the best, and and for any kind of long range, uncertain sort of range on vehicles, like a like a truck driving across across the the country. I mean, if you if you try to pack up. If, if you try to drive that on on battery power alone, um, the battery gets so big that there's no there's no room left for cargo, mm -hmm. and uh, and so we've got to be realistic. I think we, we need hybrid solutions. Just like, just like um, um, batteries aren't going to replace dams, 
um, uh, batteries aren't going to run because because a dam can store energy for uh, for 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 half a year, or a year, or months, uh, or weeks. And 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 batteries, lithium ion batteries, are really only effective for up to four or five hours of storage. Anything beyond that becomes economically and environmentally ineffective because the your utility on the battery goes way down, and and you you it's just not sustainable. So so we need a whole bunch of different ways of storing and delivering energy and, and be that, um, you know, hydroelectric or pump storage, which is basically running the dam backwards, um, uh, whether that be, you know, using compressed air or converting uh, converting solar energy into biofuels. Uh, um, uh, uh, these are all going to be incredibly important to uh, really rethinking our energy, uh, our energy makeup. Batteries will play a, an important role, uh, but by no means can they replace all uh, all fuels. Uh, fuels fuel will remain an incredibly important part of it. Look, plastics are are, are driven from that part of the industry. Are we need. Um, uh, your fleece jackets are are made from uh, from oil products, and this is all this all play. We have to figure out a way to 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 minimize the impact, but uh, and and they're very complex on on the supply chain. But it, it is uh, uh, fundamentally we, we need hybridized solution. There is no panacea. Um, uh, there probably never will be, and so we have to find a, a you know the happy medium, the compromises. Well, that's it's so well summed up too. I just want to remind people that Nano One Materials uh, trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol Nano N A N O -N on Toronto T O. Uh, and Dan, I got to tell you, that's that you've done a fabulous job here, and I think it's so important uh, for people like yourself with the expertise to continue as you've just done to raise the level of conversation. That's how we'll get uh, solutions much faster. Get away from rhetoric. Get into what's really happening. As I say, you've done a wonderful job. Thanks for finding time. Well, well, thanks. It's really, um, uh, it's really a pleasure being on here. And I, look, I just want to leave you this one last thought: is is I'm not only talking to you about this, but you know, we are. Uh, I spent uh, I spent a week in Washington D.C. a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, Ottawa the week before that, and we were with the German contingent that came over um, in in late uh, August or early September. I can't remember the dates now. Um, working with the, literally a meeting with the Chancellor of Germany, trying to figure out how we can improve the supply chains to address these energy needs. So, uh, not only am I getting the opportunity to speak to you and, and your listeners, but we're we're resonating with governments kind of around the world in terms of what we're trying to do at Nano One and to to drive change, uh, not just for us obviously, but for the for the better of the the whole supply chain and how to make it happen faster. Well, that's good news. Thanks very much for your efforts there, but also for your efforts here. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, great. Thank you, Michael.